Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And what a privilege and pleasure and delight it is for me to have an old friend of mine. He might not be as old as I am, but we've been friends for a while. Dr. Paul Fitzgerald is with us today, and uh, many of you already know him. But for those of you who don't, Paul has a doctorate of ministry in spiritual formation, and he did his dissertation research on internalized shame. Then he founded Heart Connection Seminars in 1998, which continue to this day, and they feature breakthrough seminars, an experiential learning process to transform internalized shame to internalized grace. And over 5,000 people have attended the seminars, and the number's growing each month. Dr. Paul also offers Heart Connection Focusing Coaching, an experiential process to deepen and expand your personal journey to find your inner wisdom that empowers courageous and confident choices to creatively express your truest self. And he and I have just been talking about that, and I'm excited for myself to find out more and participate that and continue to learn from Dr. Paul. His coaching includes specific, well-researched processes designed to equip you with tools and practices to deepen your access to your inner wisdom so that you can creatively respond to any personal life situation and so you can be more effective in your leadership roles. That's a mouthful in and of itself, but I got to tell you, when you spend some time with Dr. Paul, he really makes you think, he encourages you, you know that he's listening to you and that he values you, and the wisdom that he imparts is always tremendously helpful, as it has been for me and for thousands of others. So with all of that said, welcome Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And pleasure to be with you too. And I'm so glad that we could connect again. We've been able to spend some time here and there over the years, and it's just great to be with you again. Dr. Paul, as I always do on Grace to All with Paul Gray, I like to start out with the question, how has your understanding of God's grace and unconditional love for all people, where the rubber hits the road, how does that affect you? How has it affected you and your relationship with your family, your friends, coworkers, people in seminars, people? at the grocery store or restaurant or whatever, how has it affected your relationships with people you don't even know? Well, in Scripture, we hear the term or read the term that we are created in the likeness and image of God. Mm -hmm. And I learned from my Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters that they make a distinction between the likeness and image in that we may fall from the likeness of God, but we never fall from the image of God. Another resource of mine, James Finley, uses the term invincible preciousness. At the core of every person, that likeness, that image of God is an invincible, precious place Mm. where nothing has ever touched it. Not one victimization, 
not one thing that's happened to us has ever touched or destroyed or damaged that place. Mm. We may all fall short of the ideals of loving as much as we'd like to love and not maybe not forgiving as much as we, <laughs> but at the core of each and every person, there is an invincible precious place. When I can see the invincible preciousness in each person, I will respond differently than when I don't see it. When I can see the invincible preciousness in them, they're no longer an it. Mm. They're a thou. When I lose track of my own invincible preciousness, and I can treat myself pretty badly sometimes, I can beat myself up and I can lose track of the fact that I, part of me is invincibly precious. And no matter how much that happened to me or rejections or whatever life story, that has never been touched. And the task then is, how do I find healing and how do I help people find healing for the difference in the likeness between ourselves and where we are and maybe the ideal of likeness of God? Again, the Greek Orthodox would call it that the journey is toward union, toward theosis, toward a union with myself and God. But it's a union that begins with an already invincible preciousness. Boy, that's a great phrase. Wow. So then, knowing that, as you run into somebody at the quick shop who may look differently than we do, dress differently, have different sexual preferences or whatever, you're able to see that invincible preciousness in them overriding everything else. That's what I work at. I can't say I can't do it 100%. I mean, sometimes my blindness comes in. But as I can, I can take myself off the seat of judgment. Nah. I know that you probably have some of your audience has seen or read the Shack. There's a powerful scene in there where Mac, the character, is led into a cave where wisdom is sitting on the seat of judgment. And he doesn't like judgment. He doesn't like grace. Grace is too generous. Mm. <laughs> I've found across the years that there are two things that really make uh, legalists nervous. Uh, one is grace. And the other is somebody who's more legalistic than they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the, it creates doubt whether they're legalistic enough. <laughs> In the movie, Mac takes himself off the seat of judgment and says, here, judge me. Unfortunately, many of us have been trained in our theological process, learning church environment, to sit on the seat of judgment about ourselves and sit on the seat of judgment of other people mm. and lost the invincible preciousness of every person. Ah. One of the words I've tried to eliminate from my vocabulary that, that goes along with that is the word should. I knew you were going to say that before it came <laughs> out of your mouth. But... <laughs> The Spirit just showed me that. Yeah, boy. That's not a good well, word. Yeah. <laughs> not well, a good word. A couple of things. One is should is like a contract language. It's the past tense of shall. So it winds up being a contract. And so I look at people and say, well, they shouldn't dress like that. They shouldn't act like that. Like I have a contract with them, and they didn't know they signed a contract, but they're violating my contract. And so I'm upset with them. Uh, uh. We write contracts. Let me put a different metaphor. We often write scripts for other people, like a play. Mm -hmm. And so we hand other people the script and say, here's what you're supposed to say or do. And as long as they stay on script like they should, we're cool. It's good. But if they get off script, we're upset with them because they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. We write scripts for ourselves, how life should go. And then when it doesn't go the way we have pre-written the script, we're shocked and we wonder what's wrong and how do we fail and because we got off script. Wow. 
And we're taught that God has a perfect script written for us. And if we would just do the perfect script, the blessings come. Except then there's a statement by Jesus where he says, what well, makes it rain on the just and the unjust. He just screws that up all over the place. Yeah, and a whole lot of other things in that, yeah. in that passage. But we also write a script for God, what God should do and shouldn't do. Uh, and we get angry with God when not God doesn't come through. As in the older brother, Luke 15. Yeah, exactly. The interesting thing is, I don't know how many times you preached, I've preached, We've heard sermons on Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. Mm -hmm. Every story in that chapter begins the same way. They started off not knowing where they were going to go. They started off not knowing where they're going to go. I think the message from that chapter is there are no scripts. Wow. When I say the phrases, I'm hurt by that. I don't like that. I wish that wasn't happening. I'm sad about that. Those are all emotional words. Mm -hmm. And that reflects real feelings inside. Should is not an emotional word. Should is a word of judgment. I think Jesus said something about not worrying about the splinter in somebody else's eye when we got along in our own eye. And some of us are terrified. Frankly, some of us are terrified by removing should. It's like we're trusting in the structure we've created about what should and shouldn't happen. When life is more like improv, mm. you're a musician. Mm-hmm. You understand the distinction between playing a score and doing jazz? Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What if life is mostly jazz and improv? <laughs> and you know, those of us who are jazz musicians get a lot of criticism <laughs> from those who aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're generally looked upon as illegitimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the word I would suggest people to change from should is to could. Could is a possibility. Should is a judgment. I should do this versus I could do that. They should do that. They could do that. So how would that play out when you run across somebody that's not acting or looking or making the choices or whatever that you would hope they would instead of saying they should do that, then elaborate on changing to could. So I would see them as something is keeping them from what they can do. There's a piece of blindness that's blinding them from what they could do, uh. how they could live. The prodigal son story, you mentioned it. It's a really important story because the story has never been about changing the father's mind. It's always about changing their mind. They could. The boy is feeding pigs could go home. Yeah. But he shouldn't because I've made a fool of myself. Yeah. I shouldn't accept the robe and ring and sandals because I smell like pigs. Mm-hmm. My father shouldn't have accepted that boy back because he's, he's no good. There's should all over the place, except the father has no shoulds. Mm. The father didn't say, well, I'm not going to give you my inheritance because you shouldn't leave. You, you're stupid. You shouldn't do this. You're going to make a mess. You shouldn't. Wow. Papa has no shoulds. So let me take a little farther because we've got your, got your curiosity. In the Old Testament, we like the word Ten Commandments. I think the Hebrew there really actually says ten words. Mm-hmm. Ten words, ten words of wisdom, wise living Mm. to do. Mm -hmm. And we like the word obey. There's a lot of obey in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing about the word obey, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, there is no specific word for obey. You would think with Eskimos have, what, 20 words or more Mm. for snow? (laughs) The Old Testament would have a specific word that means obey. When you read obey in the Old Testament, Most of the time, probably nine times out of ten, 
the word is translating the word Shema, which means to hear. To hear. To hear what? To hear wisdom. Why wouldn't, if you knew what was wise, why wouldn't you do it? Even the English word obey, if you track the root of that word down, it means to hear. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm thinking I read something about be still and know that I'm God and something about a still small voice behind you and walk in that way and my sheep will know my voice. Mm. To hear. That's about listening. But if I have a cacophony of voices in my life, my fears, my shadows, other stuff, and I'm not really present with myself, how am I going to distinguish and hear that voice? So as you read what I do, I'm 100% in the grace camp. My concern is that a knowledge of the God's grace doesn't automatically heal the heart wounds that I bring into my relationship. And the challenge becomes how can I find ways and how can I help people begin to identify what are the heart wounds that I have that block me from seeing grace, to internalizing grace. It's one thing to have grace as a mental construct, a theology. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to internalize it, to live from within it and live out of it. To experience it rather than just know some head meanings. Yeah. You said I did a lot of work around shame issues and internalized shame particularly. There's a line that I read that now uh, Lewis Smeeds writes a book about shame and grace. And it was a very powerful line. And he says, no one can shame you more deeply than someone from whom you expect to receive grace. Wow. That makes being a spiritual mentor, a spiritual leader, a spiritual community really risky. Yeah. No one can shame you more deeply than someone you expect grace from. Yeah. It could be a parent. It could be a grandparent. It could be a Sunday school teacher, a neighbor. Anytime someone expects to receive grace, which usually means there's some trauma that they've experienced. Some piece of shock could be a big thing, could be a small thing. And at that point, there's usually some emotional stoppage. Mm-hmm. And if I don't receive grace, if I don't, if there are not adequate resources there to help me through that, that internalized trauma becomes internalized shame. Mm. A sense of depleted sense of self, a less than adequate response to the life situation. It isn't a cognitive process. It isn't like I know that, but it becomes a little emotional stoppage. I'm sure that most people listening to this have been in groups where it could be a church group, a work group, where everybody kind of functions at a normal basis, everybody gets along well, and then something happens and somebody, like they throw a temper tantrum like a five-year-old. That usually represents that there was an emotional stoppage at some point in the past, and they react with the same coping skills they had at the age that the stoppage happened. Really? Yeah. Wow. The challenge becomes how do we bring adequate resources to that? Yeah. Because external resources won't do it. We can't have the job that'll do it. We can't have the other somebody else do that for us. They can support us. Wow. As long as I'm attacking myself, as long as I'm putting myself down, I'm not going to get close to that small one inside that's wounded. Who wants to be wounded again? Yeah. Wow. We have, uh, at least to me, we've opened, <laughs> we've opened the door today to a whole bunch of different questions and different things that I want to learn and grow in. And I can imagine that many of our listeners feel the same way of, oh, wow, I 
I hadn't thought about that, or I need to think about that. And, and then 30 seconds later, we're, we're on to <laughs> another, oh, wow. I, <laughs> uh, wow, which means I need to spend more time with you, and we need to do, uh, <laughs> well, hopefully we can do more of these interviews so people can grow more in learning and understanding and grace from the things that you're showing. And without trying to abruptly cut this off, our time is about it. Paul, tell people how they can connect with you, how they can take advantage of some of the resources that you have with things that may have triggered their thoughts today and things they'd like to proceed in. Well, a couple of things. My email is just drpaul at heartconnection.org, and it's spelled funny. It's H-E-A-R-T-C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N.org. I'm on Facebook, Paul Fitzgerald, Dr. Paul Fitzgerald. And I accept friends there. I have an online course. It's a video course people can take at their pleasure as they want to about our shadows, how we repress a lot of anger and fears and stuff. And it comes out sideways and how we can find a tool to begin to find healing for that. It's this kind of inner, inner sense of self-awareness. It's at Grace Connections. It's spelled funny. G-R-A-C-E-C-O-N-N-E-X-I-O-N dot O-R-G dot Thinkific, T-H-I-N-K-I-F-I-C.com. It's $29 and six lessons, video lessons, and it's been very, very powerful for people. I also do uh, coaching one-on-one. I do a lot of it through uh, Zoom and uh, online so that people don't have to travel. Looking at helping people become aware of their own inner feelings and find healing for some of those places inside that continue to rob us. My phone number is 913-706-6796. Say that one more time, would you? 913-706-6796. I'm on Twitter as Dr. Paul. <laughs> wow. Well, Dr. Paul, thank you so much for sharing and for uh, devoting your life, really, to making yourself available to continue to study and research and grow and process these things that the Lord has given you and revealing you and then uh, turning them into ways to help other people through all sorts of different ways. And I, I really hope that people who are listening today will take advantage of following up with you. And I hope that we'll be able to come on again soon, talk about these things. And I just want to thank you for taking this time and sharing with us. It's my pleasure, Paul. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for listening today to another episode of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.